Well, good morning. I'm Tommy Green. I'm a, one of the associate pastors here at Centerpoint, and I'm so excited today to continue on in our series on Joshua, Strong and Courageous. Uh, the story of Joshua is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And so today we're going to be talking about how Joshua and the Israelites, how they crossed the River Jordan, or as my Auburn friends like to say, they're going to cross the River Jordan, okay? So, so we're going to be talking about that story today, but before we start, would you have a word of prayer with me today, and, and we'll get started. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to share your word. Father, I ask that you would open up our hearts, that you would speak to us, Lord God, that, Lord God, that we would take your word, and Lord God, that you would bring revelation, Lord God, that we would see things in a way that we've never seen them before. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord God, that you would give us faith, that you would give us courage, Lord God, that you would give us strength, just like you did Joshua. And so, Father, we pray for your presence. We pray uh, for you to speak through your word, move me out of the way. And, Lord God, we pray that you're glorified in everything that's said in this place, everything that is done in this place, that you would receive glory and honor. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to recap a little bit of the story of Joshua for you before we get started. When um, Moses had been called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he does this, and, you know, does it through all the plagues, these miraculous things that God does to get them out of Egypt. And the reason he gets them out of Egypt is to move them into the promised land. So as they leave Egypt, you know the story, they're, they have to go through the Red Sea, they get in the wilderness, and a trip that should have taken them 11 days to get to the promised land, to get where they were going, eventually takes them 40 years because of their disobedience, because um, of their unbelief. God makes them wander in the desert for 40 years. Moses comes to the end of his life. He gets them to the edge of the promised land, and God takes Moses away, and Joshua is left in charge. So Joshua is now the person standing on the bank of the Jordan River, ready to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And so point one on your outline says this. God told Joshua it was finally time for Israel to enter their promised land. After all these years of wondering, after all these years of searching, after all these years, it's time for you to go into the promised land. Here's the story. And Joshua says, The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all of the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, and for the sake of not being embarrassed, I'm going to call the rest of these the rest of the ites. Okay? The rest of the ites. Okay? It says, look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord and uh, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So God says, okay, you've been wandering around all this time. It's now time to take this step into the Jordan River, across the Jordan River, into the promised land. 
Here's a note on your outline. 400 years earlier, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would possess the land of Canaan. Okay? Canaan is, is a.k.a. for promised land. It's the land that they called their promised land. And it was promised to Abraham 400 years before Joshua is standing on the banks of the Jordan. Okay? Listen, this is, a, this is what he tells Abraham in Genesis. It says, The Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, okay, to your descendants I give this land, from Wada of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates into the land of all the Ikes. Okay? <laughs> I'm giving you this land to you and to all of your descendants. Okay? This crossing of the river Jordan into the promised land is the most significant thing that happens in all of the first five books of the Bible. Almost the whole first, books, first five books of the Bible are about God taking the, the Abraham and making him a father of many nations so that his descendants could one day have a land of their own. That's the reason it's called a promised land. Because it was a land that was promised to Abraham 400 years earlier. And the people of Israel had never seen the land. Had never set eyes on it. It was only a land that they had heard about. From stories from generations to generations to generations. They've heard of this land that was promised to their ancestors. That one day would be theirs. And now after all these years of never seeing this land. They're standing at the very brink of this time. And here's a life application for us. Promises are received by faith. This morning I'm going to talk a little bit differences between promises and possession. That's really the, the, the text or the concept of this message today. But promises, the promised land, is a promised land because it was a promise received by faith from Abraham and to his descendants. Okay, Do you remember that... Um, and let me, get, let me share with you just a little bit why promises are received by faith. And if they're not received by faith, they're really not promises that we hold on to. Do you remember as the Israelites are, are wandering in the desert, the desert they're, they're heading to the promised land. They get to the brink of the promised land. And Moses sends out 12 spies to go look at this land. Okay, We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. John did in his message. And he sends these 12 spies out. I want you to go set eyes on this land that you've heard of. Never seen, but we want to see it with our own eyes. They go into the promised land and they all come back and they go, Oh my goodness, Abraham wasn't kidding. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. It would be a perfect home for us. It's amazing. There's only one problem. Ten of the spies came back and said, There are giants in the land. They are too bad. In fact, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. It is a land, even though it's amazing, I don't think we can do it. I don't think it can be our land. But two spies come back. They do receive the promise by faith. Because when they go into the land, they see those obstacles as opportunities. No longer do they see giants that they can't conquer. They see giants that God has given to them. Because God has promised it to them. See, promises of God are always received by faith. You have to believe that what God has given you is yours for the taking. God has given us 
a lot of promises. As children of God, um, all of us have promises in God's word that are available to every single child of God sitting in this room. Let me give you some examples. Abundant life. Jesus said that I, can, I have come to give you abundant life. Life that's overflowing. Life that's filled to the max. Now how many of you believe that you're living in that promised land? Not very many hands. But is it a promise? Is God's word true? God's word says that all of his promises are yes and amen. Every one of them are true. God has promises a peace that passes all understanding. He's promises joy unspeakable. He's promises us freedom, power, supernatural provision, guidance, and wisdom. All of those are promises for God's children. And when we receive them as his promises, we believe there's ours to be taken possession of. But a lot of times, as long as we're standing on the outside, on the banks of the Jordan, and we don't step into the promised land, it's just a promise. And that's what it's like being a Christian. A lot of times we have these promises, but God calls us out into the water to begin to take possession of what he's promised us. Point two on your outline states this. Israel had to cross a flooded Jordan River to begin possessing their promise. Okay, It wasn't theirs until they crossed over that river. Listen to what it says in Joshua. It says, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. Here's the most pivotal part of the, the, the Old Testament, okay? They're going from a, a, a people who do not have a land of their own to crossing the Jordan River where all of a sudden they're going to begin to possess this land, okay? So, um, so they came to camp to cross the Jordan River and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks, okay? So all of a sudden it comes time for them to possess the promised land but when they get there, the river that they have to cross is at flood stage. How many of you have seen pictures of the Jordan River? Okay. Most of us have seen pictures like where people get baptized in the Jordan River. and it's just, It really kind of looks like a little creek that just kind of meanders around. The problem with seeing those pictures are that that is really not reality of what it would have been like in um, Joshua's day. Uh, history tells us that the Jordan River has lost, I mean, matter of fact, this is what I found in uh, some history books, is this, is that in historic levels of the Jordan River, there was 1.3 billion cubic meters, that's volumes of water, that annually flowed through the river at, at its historic points. Today, only about 70,000 cubic meters. 1.3 billion to 70,000 cubic. You, they're even scared that today because of dams and because of irrigation, the Jordan River is slowly becoming less and less. But in that day, when they get to the Jordan River, it's a mighty river to be crossed. And we all think of the Red Sea parting. Think of the Jordan River parting. Okay, It was an obstacle that was in front of them that they had to pass through to get to their promise, to get to their land. Continuing on. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, 
the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. And here's a life application in this. Possessing what God has promised us requires obedience. Okay? Promises those are received by faith. Possession is received by obedience. See, Israel literally had to follow God's commands to put the priest in the Ark of the Covenant into the riverbed and to walk through. Now, a few years ago, let me give you a kind of an example of the difference between promises and possession. When Shelly and I first moved here, I think the first year we moved here, we had gone out to eat with uh, some people here in our church. And while we were there, we, you know, we had kids and they, uh, they said, hey, listen, we have a swimming pool and this summer, any time that your kids want to go swimming, just call us and they can go swimming. Anytime. Whether we're home, whether we're not, just give us a call and they can go swimming. Well, that summer passed and we never called them. The end of the summer, they came back to me. I saw them and they said, hey, why didn't you call and let your kids go swimming? Why didn't I do that? Because I really didn't believe the promise was true. I really felt unworthy of that promise. I felt, well, maybe they had changed their mind. And if I called them, I would hate to be rejected. See, there are lots of excuses that I gave you know, to receive that promise. The promise was I can go swimming anytime I want to. But until I made the phone call... I never got to go swimming. Do I get what I'm saying? I never stepped in to that promise. See, it takes, it takes more than just believing in God's promises. It takes actions and obedience to begin to possess what God has called us to. Let me put it this way. James puts it this way. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. What good is it to say that, hey, someone said I could go swimming anytime I want to if I never pick up the phone and call? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. That's why when the spy, the ten spies came back and they did not believe in the promise, God said, you can't go into the promised land. Because belief isn't enough. If you don't begin to walk out in obedience, what I show you, because of your faith, you can't receive what I've promised. 
Here's an example. One of the things I said a while ago is that one of the promises of God is a peace that passes all understanding. How many of you believe that is a promise in God's word? That we can have a peace that passes all understanding. Well, here, here's an example. I'm going to put this on the... Possessing the promise of peace requires obeying the command to not worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. If I really believe that there is peace to be had, then I'll obey, obey God's commands who say, don't worry, pray. Because I believe if I don't worry, don't pray, that peace is the possession that I'll receive. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. See, we have to walk into God's promises. We have to possess it. We have to, to not just, it's not good enough just to say, oh, God's promised this. It will just happen. And I believe that as Christians, many of us look at God's promises and we go, yeah, I know that's what God's promised, but I'm not actually experiencing that. And because I'm not experiencing that, it must not be true. See, faith says what God promises is true. But I have to walk out obedience to receive it. See, God's word says that the kingdom of God, his kingdom, suffers violence. And violent people take it by force. They're willing to... to Pass, push past all the difficulties, all the obstacles, and see those obstacles as opportunities for God to do amazing things. Here's a note on your outline as well. It is normal to have obstacles we must overcome in order to possess God's promises. That's normal. Let me give you some examples. On the bottom of the very last part of your outline, you're going to see some bullet points, and I'm going to read from these, okay? It says, Abraham was promised that he would have many descendants, but the problem was, his obstacle was, his and Sarah's bodies were incapable of producing children. Joseph was promised that he would lead his family, but he had jealous brothers who sold him into slavery. David was promised that he would be king, but he had a current king, Saul, and a son, Absalom, who wanted to kill him. Moses was promised that he would leave Israel into freedom, but he had a disability, insecurities, and a stubborn Pharaoh. Noah had promised that he would be saved from a flood, but he had a cloudless sky, it never rained, and a mocking crowd. Mary was promised that she would give birth to the Messiah, but there was only one problem, she didn't have a husband. Paul was told to preach to the Gentiles, but he had a shady past. Opposition from church leaders, opposition from city members and officials. See, many times the promises of God can only be achieved by overcoming the difficult situations that God has placed in our life to overcome them. And the only way you'll overcome them is if you truly believe they're yours to possess. Some of you have promises from God and there are obstacles in your way, and you keep on thinking, I must be doing something wrong. I want to have you consider maybe you're not doing something wrong. Maybe God's put a test in front of you so that you will overcome it, so that when you receive God's promises, you'll remember it was Him who made the way. 
obstacles are meant to be overcome. They're meant to be opportunities for God to show out in your life. And many times in my life, I complain about the obstacles. This is too tough. This Christian walk is too tough. God has promises for you. But it takes obedience. It takes perseverance. It takes courage. And it takes strength to possess it. Here's a life application. We must push past fear and walk in faith. This is what God told Joshua when he was about to possess the land. When he was about to go over the river Jordan. He tells him this. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I had swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. Sometimes God wants us to walk through the fiery trials and the deep waters of our life in faith. Because faith is the only thing that pleases God. Remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. God wants us to activate our faith by what we do, not just by what we believe. Point three on your outline states, that God wanted Israel to never forget how they got to the promised land. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at a place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men that he chose and one from each tribe of Israel, and he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel. And here's a life application for us. We must remember what God has done so we will not be prideful. There are promises that you've walked in your life. There are ways that God has rescued you and set you free from your past. There are ways that He has gotten you out of Egypt, seen you through the wilderness that were amazing and miraculous. But if we don't find ways to remember what God has done, we'll forget. Uh, one of the first connect groups that Shelley and I were in, uh, the connect group leader at that time, had, uh, was, uh, loved remembering the prayers that God had answered in our group, which, which was a lot. And so one of the things we did is we took this jar and we had these little rocks. You know, I say little rocks, they were rocks like this. And every time that we had prayed about something as a group in our connect group, um, we, and got, that God had answered, we would write down those answers on that rock, and we would place those rock in that jar. And it was amazing to see that jar fill up. 
Because what it does is every time that you have another obstacle or another problem that comes in your life, you could look at that jar and say, well, God's done it once. Why can't he do it again? Do you remember how God had done this? And it's so important to have avenues in your life to do it. One of the things that we do, or I say we do, uh, I would say my wife does, that helps us as a family to remember the amazing things that God's done is, is that she writes all of our God stories in her journal. Okay? She does. She writes them all down. Everything from when... Uh, when basically from how God put us together to be married to when God had called us to plant a church to uh, the adoption of our daughter to when God brought us here to Centerpoint. I mean, there's some amazing God stories in these journals. And I treasure them. Matter of fact, there are times in this walk that I get discouraged. It's like, God, are you anywhere to be found? Any of you ever felt that way before? Like, God, is there anywhere to, are you anywhere to be found? This is the truth. This is honest goodness truth. There are times that we feel that way in our life, in our walk. And you know what we'll do? We'll literally pull this out and we'll begin to read. Do you know what it does to our faith? All of a sudden, when I remind myself of what God has done, it reminds me that God has not forsaken me, that He's called me. And all of a sudden, faith begins to rise up. I want to share a story, or I gave God, Shelly gave me permission to read this. And this is dated on um, February 8th, 2010. In February 2010, we felt like we had been praying, and we had felt like God was calling uh, Shelly and I back into full-time ministry. And uh, so we began to pray about that. And, and at one moment, I called a little church in Prattville, Alabama, it had just started about three months earlier. It's the only church I called. And I talked to the secretary. And after that, I set up a meeting and, and I, I, talk, I had a call with John. And this is, this is that journal. And we go back and read this every once in a while. When, when it gets really difficult to minister with, to you guys, <laughs> we come back and read this. It says this. It says, Tommy called the pastor yesterday and talked to him for nearly an hour and a half. In the course of the conversation, he told Tommy that about 15 minutes before he had called their secretary to ask about the position of worship leader, that the elders were in a prayer meeting praying about the worship leader position, and one of them made the statement, Lord, if there's someone out there that we don't know about and don't know how to reach, have them call us. Wow. It's interesting, if nothing else. He said that their elders would be meeting and praying over the next week, and that I was likely to see some emails. The pastor was very excited about the possibility of us coming. It would at least seem that we have some things in common as for the hearts, but how we do things might be a little differently. Tommy told him for us to leave that it would have to be God with our families and our church and everything else. It would have to be God. Now the rest of this, I'm going to read the rest of it because the rest of this book is basically about the journey from Texas to Alabama. But there are times we go back and we remember how God brought us here. And when times get tough and discouraging, we remind ourselves this wasn't our plan, this was God's plan. This is how he did it. It's important to remember what God has done in our lives. Listen to what God told Joshua right before they crossed. This is in Deuteronomy. 
and it's right before they cross. He says this. You're about to, he says, you will enter the land and make it as your own. Okay, this is talking about going into the promised land. It's the land the Lord promised to you, to your people long ago. And I want you to circle this word, remember. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. He guided you in the desert for these 40 years. He wanted to take your pride away. He wanted to test you to know what was in your hearts. He wanted to see whether you would obey His commands. He took your pride away. He let you go hungry. He gave you manna to eat. You and your parents had never even known anything about manna before. He tested you to teach you that man doesn't live only by bread. He also lives on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out during these 40 years. Your feet did not swell. Here is what I want you to know in your hearts. The Lord your God guides you just as the parents guide their children when you have eaten and are satisfied. In other words, when you're in the land and you're satisfied and everything's going good, praise the Lord your God. Praise Him for the good land He has given you. Make sure you do not forget the Lord your God. I want you to circle that. Do not forget the Lord your God. God has promises in His Word that we're to walk in. If we believe that, because I don't know about you, I want abundant life. I want to live an abundant life. But to live an abundant life, I have to obey the command to give my life away. Remember? To give your life away and you'll find life. That's why when people go on mission trips, they come back and said, I felt more alive on that mission trip than I ever felt alive in my entire life. Why? Because they're obeying God's commands and they're pushing into the promise of abundant life. If you believe God's promises are true, it causes you to live differently. It causes you to trust differently and to walk in obedience. And when God has done amazing things in your life, make sure you don't forget. Make sure you remember it was God who brought you to this place and not yourself. Now one of the ways that the Lord has allowed us to remember all the great things He's done for us, matter of fact, right before Jesus died, He literally looked at His disciples, brought them up to the upper room, and He took a loaf of bread, and this is what he told them. He said, you know, when you come together and you take this bread and you break it, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that this is my body. That it was broken for you. That by my stripes you're healed. That by my blood it covers all of your sins. I want you to remember that my promises for you are true. Because of what I have done. Not what you've done, because of what I have done. And he said, so every time you take, and you're together, and you're taking communion, take it. And when you eat, take a time and reflect what I've done for you. It's important. Then he took a cup of juice and he poured it. And you know what he said? He said, this is the promise. Remember, this is the promise of the new covenant. My promise to you is that no longer will I hold my sins against you. 
No longer are you made right with God based on your performance. You're made right with God based upon Jesus' blood. This is my promise. So when you come and you drink of it, remember what I have done. It's an example or it is a tool that God gave us, that Jesus gave us to never forget the goodness of God in our lives. So this morning, we're going to partake of communion. We're going to take a communion a little differently than what we've done in the past. Because what I want you to do is we're going to open up the communion tables in just a moment. I want to encourage you to come and take a cracker, take a, a cup of juice. And either to come up to the very front and, and pray or to go back to your seats. And take a time by yourself and reflect on God's promises for you. Reflect on how God has saved you, how God has rescued you, how God has provided for you, how God has set you free. And as you begin to think about those things, when gratitude begins to grow in your heart, I want you to partake. When gratitude begins to grow in your heart, I want you to partake. And once you partake, you can simply, you're simply dismissed to walk quietly. I'm going to ask the ushers to open the back doors and, and you can quietly just leave. But today, I want you to think about God's promises, think about what he's done, give him thanks, and partake. I want to pray for us and then we're going to open up the communion tables. Fathers, we come before you today. Lord, and we open up the communion tables, Father. I ask that, Lord God, that you would um, remind us of all the good things, all the ways that you've provided for us, all the ways that you've rescued us, all the supernatural ways that you've given us wisdom and guidance. Every time that we've experienced peace that passes all understanding or we experience life, Lord, I pray that you would help us remember those. Lord, help us to remember your promises. Help us press into and to obey the things that you've called us to do, to actually live and to possess those promises. So, Father, I ask that you would do these amazing things today. In Jesus' name, amen.